You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Is your life a testimony to the credibility and the power of the gospel? You see, the message of the gospel and the life of the messenger are meant to be inseparably bound together. And when we think about how God intends to make his name known, he's given us a message, but he intends for that message to be communicated through messengers. And so as his messengers, we have to think about getting the gospel right, but also allowing the gospel to change us. Uh, That's what it means to be a gospel people, to have the gospel right, but also to be changed by the gospel. And uh, and so so much so of the message and the messenger being bound together when Paul writes to the Thessalonians and he's uh, in some ways defending his ministry among them. uh, He doesn't just merely point to what he said, but he points to how he lived. He appeals to his life as evidence for the authenticity of his ministry. And in a similar way, we, we want to be able to look and, and present our lives, not as a boast, but as a, as a humble testimony to the, to the credibility and the power of the gospel. And so 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, is our passage, but it, uh, it comes uh, most likely the letter of 1 Thessalonians is one of the first letters that Paul wrote. Uh, In Acts 17, you can see his ministry that he did alongside Silas and Timothy, uh, how they shared the gospel and God uh, worked in a powerful way at Thessalonica and a church was formed. Um, And we see that uh, as Paul came to Thessalonica, he had come from uh, being run out at Philippi and experiencing persecution at Philippi. And then when he got to Thessalonica, he ended up having... Uh, to find himself in the same position where he got run out of Thessalonica because of the persecution from particularly the, the Jewish leadership in, in that area. And so uh, Paul is, is, is writing because he was whisked away from them so much so, so quickly that he's actually concerned for the Thessalonians, for their faith. He wants to be sure that they're standing firm in the faith. He talks about being anxious uh, for them and being worried about them. And so he writes to them to encourage them and to make sure that they're standing firm in the faith. He knows that after his departure, those who trusted in Christ continued to face the same type of opposition he faced. Now, perhaps not to the same degree of being run out of town, but uh, in some ways it, it, it may be easier to get run off than to have to stay put and face the opposition that the Thessalonians were facing. And, and we don't know exactly perhaps what was being said, but it seems as if people were questioning how they could listen to a guy like Paul who got beat up everywhere he went. Uh, you know, like eventually you don't want to follow the loser. Uh, you would like to follow a winner uh, is kind of the idea. That's true. Uh, that's the sentiment that's true today as much as it was then. And so Paul is writing him saying, hey, look, I may be a loser in the eyes of the world, but I want to remind you uh, of, of what God did when I was with you. Not as a reminder about me, but as a reminder about the power of the gospel. Um, and it's the power of the gospel uh, demonstrated through Paul's life. That is the subject of our passage. And so to be a gospel, to have a gospel culture, we have to understand this truth at the outset. And it's presented in uh, the first four verses of our passage today. And it's this. We have been entrusted with the gospel. 
See, Paul <clears throat> writes and, and he says, uh, and, and by word of testimony, you know, brothers, speaking to these new believers at uh, the, the church there in Thessalonica, that our coming to you, our ministry among you wasn't in vain, but God worked powerfully. Even though we sh- suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. He says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak to not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul says, we have been entrusted with the gospel. Now, this idea of being entrusted with the gospel is central to Paul's understanding of of his own calling as an apostle. that, That God had set him apart to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so Paul and the other apostles are uniquely entrusted with the gospel because they're the first eyewitnesses of the gospel. They, they literally were telling people for the first time this actually happened and we saw it with our own two eyes. Uh, we're here to tell you that Jesus really did die on the cross. And here's why he said he died on the cross. He said he died on the cross to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures and to uh, provide forgiveness of our sins. And he really did rise from the grave. We were scared to death when they put him to death on the cross. But we're here standing today, not in the boldness that comes from confidence in ourselves, but in boldness that comes from God, that he got up from the grave and that changes everything. Uh, we have been entrusted with the gospel. But are we entrusted with the gospel? Do do we have the same responsibility as Paul to to bear witness to the gospel, to to tell others about the death and resurrection of Jesus? I think it's important for us to understand that we, too, have been entrusted with the gospel. You see, from Jesus's commissioning of the disciples to his final return, we see over and over again that God intends that the gospel would flow from those who have received the gospel. The gospel comes to us. We receive it by repentance and faith. And the gospel is intended to move not just merely to us, but to move through us. That's the the flow and the, the pattern of how God intends for the gospel to go from a tiny group of disciples in an upper room after Jesus's death and resurrection to the ends of the earth until he returns when the gospel, the glory of God, covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's how God intends for his name to be known through those who have received the gospel to make the gospel known. If the gospels come to you, God intends for the gospel to move through you. That's how God has designed his mission. Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples, which demands that we bear witness to Jesus's death and resurrection. And, and we do that until he returns. He said, I'll be with you until the end of the age and you go on the basis of my authority. And so he gave it at his resurrection and he said, this mission stands until I return. And so until he returns, we are called to make disciples through bearing witness to the gospel. In Acts 8 and 11, we see that the church at Jerusalem began to experience persecution. And pretty much all of the believers at that time were pushed out uh, of Jerusalem. Except, uh, interestingly, the apostles remained in Jerusalem, perhaps with a small, smaller number of Christians. But the persecution, in many ways, pushed out Christians from Jerusalem. And do you know that the Bible records that it was unnamed Christians from the church at Jerusalem who went about sharing the gospel wherever they went. God used persecution to push believers out so that they would go and they would make Christ known. 
It wasn't just the apostles who had had seen the resurrection of Christ. It was ordinary. And in fact, I think it stands uh, to, to demonstrate to us today that God intends to use everybody who receives the gospel because we don't even know the names of those who took the gospel uh, into those places after they were persecuted at Jerusalem. We don't even know the names of those who took the gospel to Antioch where that church was formed, that the mission of God was fanned into flame uh, there in Antioch. We, we, we don't know who they are, but we know that we see a pattern. If you receive the gospel, God intends to use you to make the gospel known. Paul said in Romans 1.16 that we're not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. How will people be saved unless the gospel is made known? How will the gospel be made known unless there are messengers who are willing to share the message? The Bible's not done. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Paul said in Colossians 4, we memorized uh, this passage during our seven days of prayer in January. Let your speech always be gracious and season with salt so that you may know how to answer each person who asks you. God intends us to be gospel people who use words to communicate the message of Jesus's death and resurrection, who use our words to communicate the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins that come not through us climbing a ladder to achieve access and presence to God, but by declaring the good news that God climbed down that ladder, so to speak, to come to us to make his grace and forgiveness available, not through what we've done, but through what Jesus has done for us. When, when Peter and Paul says that we ought to know how to give an answer for the reason, uh, for the hope that's within us, that we ought to know how to answer each person, they're not talking about, talking about the weather, right? Like they're, not, they're not talking about giving an answer about uh, your, your favorite team or an update on your weekend. <laughs> they're talking about the gospel. They're talking about giving an answer for the good news uh, that gives you hope and that gives you joy. So I just share it again. If you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord... You're an ambassador of that message. We've been entrusted with the gospel. In fact, we'll see as we, uh, as we think about this in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5 in just a moment, um, because of what Christ has done, we respond to that message by, by being messengers, ambassadors for the gospel. But, but just notice, even in the context of our passage here, how Paul talks about the implications of what it means to be entrusted with the gospel. If we're entrusted with the gospel, what does that mean? If you've been given a message and you have a responsibility, how do we carry out this great trust that God has given us? <clears throat> we see in Paul's example in verses 1 through 2 that Paul shared the gospel boldly. We too are to share the gospel boldly. Now, we've talked often before that boldness does not mean that we have no fear, but it means that we trust God in spite of our fears. Boldness is not that we have confidence in ourselves. Boldness is that we have confidence that when we speak, God will show up. It's a, a sense of trusting God and speaking. Paul says in verse 4 that we've been entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. It's the implication of being entrusted with the gospel is that we make it known. We share it boldly. Paul says that he shared it in, in spite of much conflict. 
in the midst of much conflict, he says, we declared to you the gospel of God. We have this example of being faithful to share the gospel boldly. Basically, this just means if you boil it down, that you're willing to share the gospel, even if it comes with some cost. And look, the cultures in which we find ourselves, the times in which we find ourselves may mean that the costs look a little different. And the cost may not mean uh, you being beaten up and run out of town. <clears throat> in fact, as, as far as I know, I've shared the gospel with some people who don't agree with it and don't appreciate the perspective of the exclusivity of the message of the gospel, but they've never beaten me up yet. <clears throat> but I, but I, have had, I have had some unpleasant interactions. I have had some uh, uh, feelings of awkwardness. I, I have at times uh, uh, experienced some falling out in some relationship, and they're maybe feeling like there's something different, even though as we share the gospel, we don't, we don't change our posture and our stance towards anyone. We seek to share the gospel and love people. In fact, we'll see that in our passage here today. Uh, we're, we're, we're not just sharing the gospel, and if they reject it, then we reject them. That's the very contrary, uh, very contrary to the very, uh, the very way of Christ who hung up on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We, we seek to share the message of Jesus, but also to model the, the character of Jesus as we share that message. So we share it boldly, which means that we expect there to be opposition. We're not surprised by it, but we trust God when it comes. Then we share the gospel honestly. Paul says our appeal, speaking of his message, does not spring from error. It's not a false gospel. We, we don't share something, uh, uh, we don't share a message in such a way that we tweak it so as to not offend the sensibilities of the hearer. We seek to present what God has given us. To, to be entrusted means that, that God has given us something and there's a responsibility to, to, to say what God says, not what we want it to say. And so Paul says, I didn't come and, and share it out of error. We'll talk about pleasing men in a moment. But, but elsewhere in Galatians, Paul talks about, if I came pleasing man, then I wouldn't preach the cross. Because if we want to please people, we can't bear a message that steps on everybody's toes and tells them that there's sin too great for us to overcome. But just as surely as we say there's sin too great for us to overcome in our own power, we also say there's grace and mercy so great. Greater even than our sin. Just like we sang, we believe that Jesus truly paid it all for our sin on the cross. So when we say share the gospel honestly, we mean we're willing to share the hard part as well as the good part. The good news of the gospel must also come with the backdrop of the bad news of our sin. But the bad news of our sin should not be the only part of our message. We share it so that we can get to the good news of God's grace and forgiveness that come through Jesus. We share it honestly and we share it sincerely. Paul says it didn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Paul says we weren't hucksters. We, we weren't tricksters. We, we weren't just trying to get people uh, to gather a crowd and to, to get them in a group and to, to commit them to, to our thing. This isn't stemming from some impure motive or any attempt to trick or deceive. I know that 
used car prices are rather high right now, um, but uh, I'm sure that doesn't help the, the image of the used car you know, salesman you know, who is always willing and dealing um, and, and trying to, uh, to kind of uh, fix up the old clunker to get a few hundred extra dollars and, uh, and, and sells, sells you, a, <clears throat> uh, you know, what, what looks like lemonade but ends up being a, a real lemon, right? Like uh, that, that picture of uh, one of my uh, used car salesmen pictures that comes into my mind is uh, Matilda's dad, right? In the movie, uh, Matilda, you know, you just, I think of a used car salesman. I think of that guy, you know, who's uh, got all these deals going on the side and, and just trying to, um, to swindle people out of a little bit more money. Once you sign the dotted line, that's your problem now, right? Like it's the only, only thing you can buy that loses value the moment you, you drive it off the lot. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and we think about the used car salesman who's dishonest and deceitful and, and ultimately trying to present you something in a way that it's actually better than what it really is. Friends, we cannot be that with the gospel. Number one, the only the only thing that we can do is probably reduce the goodness and the gloriousness of the gospel. The the product that we offer, it's not to sell. It's free of charge, but it's better than we could even explain. It's not something that we could we could be a huckster with. It's something that is so good and so true and so rich that we simply want to present it. We don't want to get in the way. We don't want to trick people with some tactic. We don't want there to be impurity in our motive. We simply want the gospel to be made clear and for God to be made known. So we share it sincerely. And when we think about what this means to, to share the gospel boldly, honestly, and sincerely, the, the implications of being entrusted with the gospel, it, we, we go on to see how Paul describes his ministry among them. And as Paul describes his ministry among the Thessalonians, I want us to see three uh, commitments that we ought to make as people who have been entrusted with the gospel. Number one flows right out of verse four, and it's that we ought to please God. <clears throat> verse Verse 3 says that he, he describes it, that he didn't come, his gospel message didn't come from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Uh, to deceive. And he goes on to say, but just as we received, uh, or we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul says we did not seek to please man. And Paul repeatedly comes back to this. I mentioned in Galatians 1, Paul says, if we sought to please man, we wouldn't preach the cross. We're no longer living to please man, but to please God. And and here's why this is important. If you seek to please others, pleasing others can keep you from saying or doing what is true to the gospel. It It can make you hold back from saying or doing what is consistent with the gospel. You hold back because you fear others. You're afraid of what they'll think of you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. You just don't want to, you don't know if you cross that line, what's going to be on the other side. And it's really trusting God. It can be scary sometimes to, to do that in relationships. Because we feel like, well, I don't want this to change. I want, I want God. I think there's a good motive in our hearts. We're like, I want there to be this cultivation of a relationship. I love uh, what Rosaria Butterfield says. She says, hard truths require deep relationships. That we should seek to build relationships with people so we can share hard truths. 
And yet at the same time, if all we ever do is wait to build a relationship where we're comfortable and confident in order to share the hard truths, the reality is it may not come. Uh, the, uh, you perhaps have heard the, the story of <clears throat> the man, uh, there's a man uh, who, who comes to faith in Christ in his office after being co-workers with a believer for a long time. And he's telling him about uh, his faith in Christ and his uh, co-worker says to him, I'm a believer too. And he said, really? I had no idea that you were a believer. For so many years, I've sought to be like you. And I felt overwhelmed And overcome by trying to live up to the way that you live. I had no idea that you were a Christian. The the, the idea that because of fearing others, we would hold back. And in what we do, we could give the message that if you live a good life, you can do this too. The, the, The goal is, I don't know if you've ever had someone say to you as a believer, man, your life is different. I appreciate the way you responded in that conflict or I appreciate the way you handle this. I appreciate the way you do this. In those moments, it's not an opportunity for us to say, well, shucks, thanks. I'm just doing my best. Uh, And in our heart of hearts, we often deflect because we we aren't naturally outwardly prideful. And we say, hey, you know, I'm I'm just trying to trying to love others. I'm just trying to do good. If that's our message and we are we are cutting short our responsibility as gospel witnesses. I'm not saying that you, you have to, to drop a track on them or, or drop a spiel on somebody in every moment that they compliment some character that they've seen in you. But, but listen, friends, whatever is seen in you ought to be a testimony of the gospel message that has come to you. Let us be people who say, it's not me, it's Christ. I've not always been that way. I've not always been selfless. I've not always been patient. I've not always been willing to work through conflict. But God's been at work in me. You don't have to be impressive. Just be honest. Humbly say, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're encouraged by that. I, I'm, I'm encouraged that God would even do anything through me. He's been gracious to me. We, we have a responsibility to bear witness to the gospel. But if you seek to please man, then it will keep you from saying or doing what is true to the gospel. But it also, pleasing others can make you say or do things that are inconsistent with the gospel. It's not just that it withholds you from speaking the gospel or or demonstrating the gospel, but it actually can make you live inconsistent with the gospel out of pleasing others. We often think about this as it relates to peer pressure. And kids face Moments where they are presented with this option of do I look cool to my friends or do I do what's right in the eyes of God? Do I curry the popularity and the favor of people or do I seek to please God and love him? Kids know that it's always worth it to please God rather than please others. It may be hard, but it's always worth it because of what Christ has done for us. But the truth is, that's not just a kid problem, right? It gets hard as you get older, too. I've heard it said that if you live long enough, you stop caring what other people think. (laughs) I'm looking forward to that. Listen, Peter, because of pleasing others lived inconsistent with the gospel. Galatians 2.14 says Peter was out of step with the gospel. He withdrew from the Gentiles 
When the, the Jewish uh, believers from, uh, from Jerusalem came into town, living inconsistently with the gospel that says it unites Jew and Gentile together in Christ. If Peter can live inconsistent with the gospel, we too can live inconsistent with the gospel. Sometimes it takes a brother or a sister in Christ to say to us, are you living in step with the gospel? It's good, it's good that God has not left it to us to figure out how not to please man but to please him. But he's actually put us in community to help us to learn how to please him rather than pleasing others. So we do not seek to please man, but we seek to please God. Listen to 2 Corinthians. Flip, flip over, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's almost as if um, 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 14 and, and our passage... Uh, you know, Paul, Paul had some of the same things in his mind uh, when he wrote them. <clears throat> He's talking about uh, living for the gospel and, and being weak. Uh, the, the, the good news of the gospel, this glorious gospel is carried about in these treasure jars or these jars of clay uh, that we're, we're broken and feeble and weak. And yet God has given us this glorious message. And so as you hear me talking about the gospel today, if you're like, Michael, my life does not feel like some bold ambassador for Jesus. The idea of being a witness for the gospel and being entrusted with the gospel, like I'm stirred up by that. And yet I'm overwhelmed by that. Um, Well, Paul felt the same way. He said, I've got this glorious gospel, but I feel like I'm a clay pot. Um, and, he, and he said, my hope is that this clay pot, this weak body that God's given me is, is that uh, God's going to make it new. And no matter whether I'm in this body or I'm dead, I'm in the presence of God. And that's the, the privilege of the Holy Spirit. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, whether we are at home or away, meaning whether we're, whether, whether we're in this life or not, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's a truth of the judgment for all who, whether we put our faith and trust in Christ, we will stand the judgment seat of Christ. But there's also a recognition that every person, every believer, we give an account for our life. We have to to give an account for how we've lived and what we've said. Every idle word, Jesus says, we'll give an account for. Like... I like to talk. That makes me uh, second guess whether or not I should talk as much as I do. Every word, every idle word, we will give an account, Jesus says. <clears throat> and here we, we said we please God who tests our hearts. He knows. And he's going, we're going to give an account for him. And, and then notice the, the therefore in verse 11. It, it looks like a different passage, but it flows from what he's just said. We make it our aim to please God. And we know we'll give an account. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we make Christ known, Paul says. And whether, whether, we are known, uh, whether it is known to God, I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves, but giving you, uh, giving you cause to boast in us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about our outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He says, we may look like fools and may be beside ourselves, but it's for Christ. He said, we seek to please God. And because we fear God over people, we speak. We bear witness to Christ. Make it your aim to live with this question as the greatest factor in your decision making. Does this please God most? If I'm honest, this this hit me in my own heart this week uh, as I thought about prepping for this. How often 
and all the decisions that need to be made. I'm just thinking about getting through something, what pleases me, what pleases some other person, what is the maximum way to avoid the greatest difficulty uh, in the moment. But is the, the first question that I ask, does this please God most? How can I please God most? Let that be what shapes <clears throat> your decision. And, and listen, when, when Paul says God knows our hearts, uh, it, ought to, it ought to sober us up. It ought to make us think carefully about how we live our lives. But let me encourage you, don't, don't let that scare you. Instead, let it humble you. Let it humble you and, and give you a greater sense of dependence on God. Let, let your wrestling be, God, you know my heart. Help me do what pleases you most. Sometimes we may, should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I respond this way? Should I not respond this way? We have the internal conversation. Welcome God into the internal conversation and say, God, help me to please you. Just simply say that and watch how he works. Charles Spurgeon said, you and I cannot be useful if we want to be sweet as honey in the mouths of men. God will never bless us if we wish to please men that they may think well of us. We cannot be, wish to be used by God if we want to be sweet as honey in the mouths of men. But we can be used by God if we seek to be pleasing in the eyes of God. Above being considered sweet as honey in the mouths of men. So we, to be gospel people entrusted with the gospel, we must please God, not men. Secondly, we must love sacrificially. Paul goes on in verse 5 to to further describe his ministry among the Thessalonians. He says, we didn't come with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul's here describing uh, his ministry, saying that we didn't put ourselves at the center. Our self wasn't at the center of our ministry or of our life. Because if self is at the center of your life, then loving others will merely be another way of using others to get what you want. If self remains at the center, if, if it's about us, then what we will do for others may, may come out as loving, but ultimately can really be just another way to please ourselves, to get what we want. Paul mentions two, re, two, two ways in which we can use others to get what we want. We can use others to get their approval. He says we didn't come with words of flattery. We weren't looking for you to approve us. We've already been approved by God. We weren't looking for your approval. And then he says we did not come with a pretext for greed. We weren't seeking to, to benefit from you and get money from you. Our, our goal wasn't to, to build our coffers and to build our esteem. But we came simply to love and to to share with you the love of Christ. And the resounding message of Paul's ministry here at Thessalonica and throughout is don't use people. Love people. Don't use people to get what you want. Love people to demonstrate for them what God desires to give them. If we're secure in our approval in Christ, we'll be free to love others rather than use others. That's, a, that's a, for me in my own testimony. I became a believer as a teenager. So much of what I struggled with early on as a teenager was just bumping around from person and peer group to group to get their approval. 
The smart group, you had to be smart to get their approval. Okay, great. I'll be smart. You got to be athletic to be accepted by the sporty people. You could be athletic. You, you got you, you know, you to have a little bit of a past and use a little bit of rough language to be accepted by the rough crowd. So, you know, you do those things to be accepted by that crowd. You, you fit in so that you can, you can be liked. And before long, you're like, who am I? I'm just bouncing around trying to be liked, not even sure who I am. We're using people to get what we want, and in the end, we don't even know what we want. It's this endless spiral. I don't know if you struggle with that. The temptation is there still for me today to seek approval from other people, as we talked about before. But the problem when we seek approval for other people, we're not in a place to love and serve them as God intends us to. We need them, is what we're saying. And God's saying, I've given you everything you need so that you can love others as I've called you to. Consider the way Paul talks about his love. He talks about humility. In verse 7, he says, We did not come and make demands, though we could have as apostles. We, we didn't come and, and tell you to do certain things. We came in humility. He, he goes on in this passage. It's interesting. He uses both the image of a mother and the image of a father in our passage to describe his ministry. And, and he talks about the gentle care in verse 8 of a nursing mother taking care of her own children. When I think about sacrificial love, I can't help but think about the love of a mother. Um, and, and listen, you, you may, we, we all have stories of different uh, family backgrounds and, and broken families. And uh, I've shared with you my testimony before, uh, raised, given birth, parents out of wedlock. Um, mom raised me for the first three years in foster care for a year, then raised by my dad. Most of my life, I wondered whether or not my mom loved me. Um, when my mom passed in 2012, her Facebook password was Michael1987. You, you cannot underestimate the loving sacrifice of a mother. I didn't understand what my mom did in order to love me, but she made some of the hardest decisions that anyone could make to, to love me um, and seeking to put me in the greatest care that she could possibly provide, even if it wasn't her own. The, the love that I see in my own wife as she cares for our children, there's a gentleness and a fierceness to a mother's love. There's a, there's a sacrifice that comes with a mother's love. Uh, and almost as, as Paul elsewhere talks about, like, like a, a, there's a priestly aspect to, to the work of the gospel in which we're laid out on the altar as a sacrifice for Christ. I, I'm sure some of the moms here <laughs> relate to that language. Just kind of laid out <laughs> as a sacrifice and loving and caring for your children. Paul says that was the way we cared about you. Gentle care. The kind of love that you see in a mother. And then he shows talks about sacrificial service. He says, you remember our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. We so much desire that you not think that we are in it for the money that we work to meet our needs so that we could serve you. We say it often at TCC, ministry is sustainable sacrifice. Sacrifice is not an option for serving God. It comes with the territory. Paul says we sacrificially served. And then the summary of it all, I love in verse eight, uh, he says, for um, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had come become very dear to us. Paul says we shared with you the gospel and we shared with you our lives. 
In essence, Paul is saying we declared and we displayed the gospel. We shared the gospel with our words and we displayed the gospel by sharing our lives with you. If we are going to be a gospel culture, we have to be people who give our lives to loving others towards Christ. Give your life to loving others towards Christ. Is there somebody that comes to your mind that you can think of that God is calling you to love towards Christ? For me, the most helpful thing is to take it from the abstract and think about someone. Who are we loving towards Christ? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I'll never forget the first time I read that and really thought about that. I think I was in college. And I thought, that's it. That's the picture of what God calls me to as a follower of Christ. To spend and be spent for the souls of others. See, ministry isn't, isn't about programs, as helpful as they can be. It's not about initiatives of this and that, as essential as those things may be. Ministry is first and foremost. I'm, I'm not talking about for the paid professionals. I'm talking about for the whole body of Christ. And ministry is about people. Ministry is about relationships. It's with other people that we have desire and affection for, that, that people become dear to us and that we share the gospel with people and we share our lives with people. John Piper said, when the gospel flourishes, people share their own souls. Are we gospel sharing and soul sharing people? Do we sacrificially love with our whole selves? Listen, when I say give your life to love others towards Christ, what I'm saying is, is keep showing up in people's lives. Keep loving them. Keep speaking truth to them. Keep encouraging them. Keep meeting them in their moments of need and meeting in their moments of rejoicing. Take advantage of the opportunities God provides in a moment as well as cultivate opportunities through your intentionality. Give yourself to your kids to love them towards Christ. Give yourself to your spouse to love them towards Christ. Give yourself to your neighbor to love them towards Christ. To your coworker to love them towards Christ. To the random person that you meet that you feel like, i got to say something to this person or I'm being disobedient to Christ. Give your life to loving others towards Christ. That's what God's called us to. Listen in 2 Corinthians 5 again, verses 14 through 15. Just chew on this this week. If, I know the passage is 1 Thessalonians, but chew on this thought in 14 and 15 of 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ, Paul says, controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. If you've trusted in Christ, you've died to your sin, you've died in Christ, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, for, for, for him who for their sake died and was raised. We don't live for ourselves. We live for God. And if you live for God, that means you live for others to love them towards Christ. That's the call. Sacrificial love with the aim of leading others to Christ. With the aim of displaying Christ. Let it never be a secret that we're a Christian. Let it never be a secret that the love of Christ controls us. 
whether it's in our words or our actions. Let's be gospel people who sacrificially love. And then Paul ends by calling us to live worthy of our calling. Verses 10 through 12. If we're going to be entrusted with the gospel, it means that we live worthy of our calling. Paul first talks about his example, his lifestyle among the Thessalonians. He says we are holy and righteous and blameless. Holiness is a reflection of both our public and our private lives. It deals with how we treat others and how we conduct ourselves. It deals with um, uh, the way we live our lives, not as sinless, but as people who are above reproach. We seek to honor God and do right by others. It's the, uh, the, the basic commitment that God has called us to. And Paul says, when we were among you, you know how we conducted ourselves. We treated you right and we sought to honor God first and foremost. Now, not everyone may agree with that. Not everyone may be um, uh, warm and fuzzy about your seeking to do right by God and by others, but it's the commitment that God calls us to. Speaking to pastors, Robert Murray McShane said, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. The greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. And as I sat with that as a pastor this week, I also thought to myself, it's not just true for pastors. The greatest gift that you can give your family, your friends, your church, your co-workers, a watching world is our holiness. Think about this. Our holiness tells people that the gospel has power. Our holiness, the lives we live the, the willingness to die to self and to obey Christ and to uh, not be perfect, but to repent of sin and seek to walk in faith. That demonstrates that the message we believe really has power to change, has power to, to, to change past sinful habits, to, to, to change the, the story of our lives. It has the, the power to help us in the present. It, we're, we're saying that what God is doing in me, Paul says it in, in Galatians 2, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is defined by him, not by me. I want my holiness to be a testimony to the power of the gospel. People who proclaim the gospel and who don't live holy lives end up besmirching the name of Christ and distorting the message of the gospel. I've done it. My anger, I've distorted the gospel. My selfishness, I've distorted the gospel. We can distort the gospel in our our public actions and we can distort the gospel in our private actions. But here's the thing. What God calls us to is not to be perfect people. I don't say that as an excuse to allow sin. I say that as a recognition of the sinful nature we bear until Christ returns. Understand this. God calls us to be repentant and ever believing people. Always repenting. Always believing. Always turning from sin. Always returning to Christ. Holiness is marked not by perfection, but by repentance and faith as the ongoing pattern of the Christian life. Friend, if you can get that, like that is the, that's the heart of the Christian life. 
We sometimes get discouraged in our pursuit of God because it's difficult. It does not go in the way we want. The things that we thought we could turn away from, we don't turn away from as easily as we want. The conflicts that we find ourselves in don't go away as easy as we thought they would. The, the feelings and thoughts and desires and temptations that, that we feel like we can turn away from, they, they have a little bit of a stronger grip on us than we think. We get discouraged. We lose heart. Don't lose heart. The gospel has the power to change as we walk in a faithful pattern of repentance and faith. And then Paul goes on to say, not only did I demonstrate by my example, but through my exhortation, we called you. Notice the words he uses. He, he describes a picture of a father. I spoke of the loving sacrifice of, of mothers, fathers. I know that you sacrifice significantly and greatly as you seek to love your children and to lead your families. Don't neglect this responsibility, fathers. Be fathers who verbally exhort and encourage and urge your family and your children towards God. He says, as a father, as a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. There's a sense of urgency to walk in a manner worthy of God. Not because God's angry and is going to spite you. Not because you got you to walk a tight line and, and put on a good show to impress God. What does it say? Walk, man, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Isn't that good? God called us, Paul says in Colossians 1, out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light of the kingdom of his beloved son. And his beloved son makes us his beloved children. That we are known by God the Father. We are welcomed into God's family. Adopted as his children, as sons and daughters. Therefore we live worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. What does that mean? Walk with humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 2 Timothy 1.8-10, Paul says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ. That's now made manifest through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality through the gospel. He says, exhort and encourage your children towards holiness to towards God, because God saves and rescues us from sin. God calls us out of darkness and into his light. The emphasis isn't on our convincing abilities. Listen, you can say the right things and you cannot determine the direction of your children's heart. Only God can. We plead with our children, but we plead with our children knowing that the greatest pleading is us before God. Paul, Paul is saying, I like a father, I exhorted you, but ultimately my exhortation isn't the main thing. My exhortation flows out of the goodness and the grace of God that's come to us in Christ. We're not called to make ourselves worthy of God's love. We seek to live worthy lives in response to what he's done for us. Even as we encourage and exhort others as believers in our lives today, we, we remind ourselves, even though Paul could often say, follow me as I follow Christ. His emphasis wasn't on him, but it was on Christ. As believers, that's our, our emphasis as we pursue holiness and encourage each other to pursue holiness is to say, keep looking to Christ. So our pursuit of holiness reveals the power of the gospel. 
My prayer for us as we think about being a gospel people, I ask you at the beginning, is your life a testimony to the credibility and the power of the gospel? That can be a weighty question. Let me flip it to make it a prayer rather than a question. Will you make this your prayer with me? God, use my life to be a testimony to the credibility and the power of the gospel. That feels bigger than what I can do, but I know you're able. Just like we saw last week, we take the little that we got and we put it in his hands. And he can do more than we can ask or imagine. A gospel culture begins with understanding that we've been entrusted with the gospel. That means we have a responsibility to share it boldly, to share it honestly, and to share it sincerely. And we can do that as we seek to humbly submit ourselves to God, to please Him, to love sacrificially, and above all, live worthy of the calling that He's given us in Christ. Let's be gospel people and have a gospel culture in our church so that through us, God can can make himself known and draw many more to him and build up our church that we would reflect him in the world. That's that's my prayer for us, not just in this building, but my prayer for us as we gather and as we scatter to be this kind of gospel people. Let's pray.